Welcome to Hashtags and Stilettos with Sakita Holly, the podcast that's like having your own personal publicist in your pocket, sharing business, lifestyle, and PR tips on demand. Today's guest is Christia Donaldson. To live tweet this episode, use the hashtag Hashtags and Stilettos, and be sure to tag Christia on Twitter and Instagram at T-G-I-N-C-E-O, and me at Miss Success, that's M-I-S-S Success, on both Instagram and Twitter as well. Christia is the founder and CEO of Thank God It's Natural, a company that manufactures all natural hair and skincare products that she launched in 2013. A few years before launching the company, she wrote her first book called Thank God I'm Natural, The Ultimate Guide to Caring for Natural Hair, which would go on to become an Amazon bestseller and a resource, Essence Magazine called The Ultimate Hair Bible. Like so many entrepreneurs and authors before her, Christia wrote the book and started TGIN to address her own needs. Feeling empowered after graduating from Harvard Law and joining the fast-paced world of corporate America, Christia still wrestled with the idea that in that environment, straight hair would be viewed as more appropriate and professional, and so she started wearing a wig to work. Over time, she realized that the notion that black women should have to cover the kinky or curly hair that naturally grows out of our head in order to be accepted in the workplace just didn't make any sense. Thus began her journey of reconciliation, first with herself, and then through sharing her experience in the book, she's been able to ensure that thousands of other women never feel the need to compromise their own natural beauty based on society's definition of it. After the success of the book and the successful launch of Thank God It's Natural, the brand, Christia continued to work her full-time job as corporate counsel at a Fortune 100 company until literally two and a half months ago. Today, I'll be talking with Christia about her incredible career and entrepreneurial journey so far, how being diagnosed with and surviving breast cancer has influenced and changed her business philosophy and outlook on life, and what it's been like working a high-powered job while also running a business that seems to keep growing by the day. Welcome to the show, Christia. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I am very happy that you're here today because I am intrigued. I am fascinated with just your entire story. So I just really want the listeners to kind of just settle in and get comfortable because we are going to, yes, we are about to have a conversation. (laughs) So I want to start, I want to go back to when you first entered corporate America and decided to start wearing a wig, not because, you know, you wanted to or for style purposes, but you felt that you needed to kind of conform to an office standard or societal standard of straight hair. Is that like, how did you uh, decide that that was going to be the work look? Had you already started wearing your hair out and someone said something to you? Or did you just decide that that was, you know, that was going to be uh, your look in the office? Well, here's the situation. This was in 2003, before Facebook took off, before YouTube took off, before there were all these blogs and Instagram, before there was such thing as a hashtag long hair, don't care, or team natural. I mm-hmm. literally was transitioning and on this journey pretty much by myself. And so mm-hmm. every black woman that I saw, for the most part in corporate America, who was just both successful or starting their career at the midpoint of their career, 
all had the same kind of chin length vibe with the part on the right mm. and the bangs going to the yes. So when you see that, you don't really feel coming into an institution that you, this early in your career, have the ability to make a change or challenge mm. the status quo of what it means to be black, beautiful, and professional in the workplace. And so I had to fall in line and in order to do that and still kind of experiment with my natural hair, I opted to wear a wig. And what was that internal dialogue like each morning, like as you put your wig on, were you kind of numb to the experience? Because, you know, for years, that's just kind of what black women had to do. Or was it like you were leaving an important piece of your identity at home each day? Well, I don't know if I necessarily thought of it like that, you know, every day, but (laughs) it was the kind of thing where it was the end of my first year review Um, and my boss basically told me I didn't have what it took to be successful there. I'm like, okay, what? I look Mm -hmm. around this workplace. I look at how hard I work and I look at kind of the sacrifices I made in order to conform and it didn't even work. And so I think Mm -hmm. the dialogue and the sense of resistance and the sense of feeling like I had compromised who I was had finally settled in, um, Mm -hmm. kind of at the point at which I got that bad news. But yeah, there will be days where I'm like, okay, this sucks, but I have to kind of forge forward on this path because I think I can figure this thing out. I think I can figure this hair thing out. Um, And I did. So yeah, I'm in the same situation now as well. So it's kind of crazy. So we'll see. And you touched on something important, right? I, I had an episode where I talked about how important it is for us to be ourselves because we're damned if we do, damned if we don't, we're, we don't in certain situations. And I think you kind of learned that the hard way. But what would you tell somebody that's kind of going into corporate America institution that has been around for years and they don't want to compromise, but they know that they have to make adjustments in order to fit in? How do you like kind of walk that line without losing yourself in the process? Well, I think it starts with the interview process and choosing a place where you feel comfortable. And like someone says, a place where you're going to be celebrated and not just tolerated. And in terms of like having to compromise who you are, like you're not going to be your best self if you're constantly having to pull back on who you are authentically, whether it's as a woman, as a black person, as a gay person what have you. So it's all about doing the diligence on the front end and just not just being so quick to, you know, take a job just to take a job, but actually finding a place that shares your core values. Right. That's that's a great point. So you said you had your one year review and were they basically letting you go at that point? It's kind of up in the air. Um, They were basically like, why don't you find another job? We'll give you three months. So it's not like they were like, oh, you have to leave. But it was Mm -hmm. like suggested that maybe I should look elsewhere. So it was kind of like, yeah, it wasn't like you're out of here. We're calling security and we're bringing we'll mail you your things. But Mm -hmm. it was more so we don't know if this is going to work out. And so I took that as, hey, let me get out of here. Right. That seems kind of passive aggressive. Yeah. Is that (laughs) like, it's like, you know, you don't have to, you know, it's like when they say at the party, you don't have to go home, but you got to, you know. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It's kind of like that. It was kind of like that. Okay. That, okay. So in that moment you made the choice, like, okay, this is not the best fit for me. So once you kind of had that epiphany, 
you know, is that when you started toying around with the idea of writing a book? Because you made a good point. Like social media wasn't a thing back in 20, in 2003. So any experience that we were going through, we were dealing with it on our own unless we knew someone in our in our personal life that had also um, dealt with that. So how did the book idea come about? Well, it came about because there were like these message boards and not even that many. There was like a, a website or two because mm-hmm. because even back then, websites were really expensive to build. I remember when I got the website created for my book, it was like over $2,000 and it was fairly simple. Mm-hmm. Um, but back then, websites were really expensive. So there was like a handful of little websites and maybe some Yahoo message groups where women went to where they were kind of trying to figure this thing out. And so I was like, wait, wouldn't it be cool if I could kind of compile this information, do some research, talk to some stylists, talk to some women and put all this information in one place. So you weren't on this treasure hunt to figure out how to go natural or how to maintain your natural hair. And that's what I did. Right. And I'm, I'm kind of laughing in my head as you say this, because as I, you know, learn more about your story, but that's such an entrepreneurial thing that you did even with the book. You know, everybody else is kind of contributing to the forum and you're like, let me just take the golden nuggets from this forum, yeah. put them together for yeah, you. Yeah, let's figure out how we can simplify this. Right. And it. where did that come from? Like, you know, did you come from a background with, you know, entrepreneurship or entrepreneurs um, growing up? Or is that just how you were always kind of wired? I think that was just always how I was kind of wired. Like I tell people, you know, especially when it comes to companies like ours, you got the people who are good at starting things from scratch, the people who can kind of take over and deal with the chaos. And then the people who work best when like all the rules and fences have been put up and like, you know, everything has been figured out. They're the ones that can keep it humming. And mm-hmm. I just feel like my personality just likes adventure. It likes things, unpredictability. It's, I also have a very curious personality. And I always like, why is that that way? And why could, how could this be better? So it's just more like asking those type of questions about the world in general. And I think it just led me okay. to entrepreneurship. Okay. So from beginning to end, it took you about two to three years, I believe, to get the book done. Did you work straight through that time? Like once you left the law firm, I believe, did you get another job or were you just focused on the book? No, no. I worked on the book while I had my law firm job. So I would come to work super early, work on it and get a couple of pages banged out every day. And then I would work on it every weekend in a coffee shop every Saturday. Okay. So did you have any help getting the book done? Because again, at this time, it was still, you know, there's so many tools now to help people like self-publish and and even find agents. But how did you put it all together? Um, So essentially, yeah, I had a really good editor and then I found some really good graphics people after I did the majority of the heavy lifting. And we just started um, working together. And so I tell people, crawl, walk, run. It was like Mm, crawling was just getting the, the words on the paper and, you know, just finishing that. And the walking is the editing and, and working with the graphic designer. And the running is, oh, my God, my book's done. Now let me go on tour and start talking to people. Okay. And, okay, so you decide to do a book to, you know, just pull together all these resources for women like yourself who are on this natural hair journey. We're trying to find products. We're trying to figure out, you know, how to navigate you know, as our true selves in the workplace at what point did you decide to take it a step further and launch products? 
Well, that's a really cool question. It was like I was traveling all over the country and, you know, even went to South Africa and some other cool places to talk about, you know, my work with natural hair and my research. And people were like, love this book, love your story, love your authenticity, but where are the products? Like, where are your products? And so as a result of kind of the, you know, relationships we forged on the ground at different churches, bookstores, libraries, museums, what have you around this subject, we built this grassroots community that basically implored me to be like, get in there and get these products done. We're waiting. So and I, I love that because, again, most people are like, no, girl, I gave you a book. Be right? happy with that. <laughs> right? Like They're like, OK, girl, you, like, you know, go to another store, take yourself to the beauty supply and you'll be you'll be all right. But you said, OK, cool. Challenge accepted. And what was your crawl, walk, run process for getting the products developed? No, that's interesting. The crawl, walk, run was essentially the crawling was. I was in my own way and I was in my own head and I had to get out of my own head because I thought I don't have a background in this. I don't know the people. I don't know where to get this stuff made. I don't know how to make it if I'm making it in my kitchen. But the crawling part was just starting. It was talking to people. It was Googling. It was playing around with recipes, recipes in my kitchen. And that was kind of my crawling phase and, and, uh, and, and just reaching out and just saying, hey, can you help me? What do you know about this? And eventually it got me to the phase of like, I went on some factory tours. I saw where some people's stuff was made and I was like, aha. And so from there, it was kind of like, this is how this stuff is made. Let's work on this. And so I'm formulating, I'm working with chemists, I'm working with different people. So that would probably be my walking phase between that and getting new bottles and packaging and marketing Mm -hmm. and what have you. And so I was in the walking phase for even a very long time because it's not just creating the products, it's learning how to market them, how to position them, how to point of differentiation, how to price right. it, how to deal with retailers. And now we're just to the point where we might be able to say we're running. I mean, we're still walking slow. It's like a 3.8 mile an hour jog. It's, well, let me it's just say jog. It's a, it's a cute walk. It's a, it's a cute walk. It's we a, might it's be jogging. Cute. We're not the girl on the treadmill doing eight miles an hour. But okay. like, we might okay. be up to like a 4.2. Like we're at a okay. first jog. We're at a jog. Okay. Okay. And and I love that. So you mentioned something about getting out of your own way. I would say that's me a lot of times. First of all, when's your birthday? Because I'm about to... January do, 20th. Okay. So you would be uh, Aquarius? Yeah. Aquarius. Yeah, okay. Down. Okay. Because I'm in Aries and I I know that we're both like analytical. I get in my own way. It's like we know so much, but then we kind of stand there and like say, okay, well now I'm going to paralyze your mind and you're not going to be able to move forward um, to get this off the ground. What did you do to get out of your own way? Did you kind of like lightly smack yourself in the face? What happened? I think I just had to say, you got to just start. Like I had to kind of take myself back to where I was with the book as a reference point and say, mm-hmm. you know, like three years ago you were here and you had this idea and I just had to remind myself of the position that I was in and that this was kind of no different. And so mm-hmm. that's what I did. It was just that and just, you know, saying, admitting to myself, part of the reason I'm procrastinating, part of the reason I'm in my own way is because I'm scared. I'm scared. I don't know what I'm yes. doing. I'm scared. Yes. I'm going to be rejected. I'm scared. I'm going to fail. And I think it's just admitting, hey, I'm scared and I don't know what I'm doing. And yes, I think once that, I realized that, that it was like, okay, I'm scared. And, 
now that I know that's the reason, I'm still scared, but I can't allow being scared to be stop me. So I got to do work and just be scared. That's, mm, yeah. Do, Versus it, not do it doing afraid. It. Yeah, yeah. Do Versus it not doing it at all and being scared. It's like, yeah. And then looking back and regretting fear. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. we got to work through this fear. That's basically what it came down to. I think so many people need to receive that. And by so many people, I mean me. Um, <laughs> because I deal with that. I deal with that often, and it's usually when I have, when I know I have, I'm sitting on something good. So because I'm self aware and know this, I have to kind of take your your advice and like drag myself through it and and do it afraid. So thank God I'm natural. The brand launched in 2013. How did you, you know, as you were figuring out the marketing, how should we position ourselves in a marketplace? How did you break through all of the beauty industry noise at the time to reach, you know, your customers and let them know that these products are here and they are for you. They're designed with you in mind. Because I think we essentially, like I said, having done all those book tours and book talks, we got a chance to listen to women. And we're Mm. still listening to women. Social listening is super important. So we listen to them at events and we listen to them on social media. And the one thing that they were tired of, they were tired of spending a lot of money on products that didn't work. They were tired of being given false promises about, oh, your hair is going to be super shiny. Let's go turn your 4C curls into 3B curls. And so (laughs) I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to sell something that I know at the end of the day I can't deliver on. I just want to sell softer, moisturized, manageable hair. And that's what people wanted. They just were complaining. A lot of people were like, I don't, you know, they would be frustrated with these, like these promises of turning their curls into silky curls or what have you. But what they really wanted was their hair to stop being dry. And I'm like, I can fix that. I can fix dry hair. Everybody like, my hair is so dry. My hair is so dry. I can fix dry hair. I can fix that. And so it was just a good amount of listening and realizing, hey, this is what they really want. They just don't know. But they're being told something different. And so, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. And if you had to launch TGIN today, what would you do, if anything, differently? Uh, I probably would have quit my job a little bit sooner, if you mm-hmm. will, or at least went part-time to kind of focus on it more, mm-hmm. that type of thing. Right. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to, we're going to talk about that, but we can talk about it right now. Yeah, whatever you want to do. Yeah. So tell me about that. When would you have quit? Because was TGIM successful right out the gate? It wasn't successful right out the gate, but the point is now that I'm able to give myself my full attention to it, Mm -hmm. um, I feel like we're making a lot more strides. And mm-hmm. what would have happened is when I did quit my job, my boss was like, well, if you ever want to come back and work on a part time basis or do a little work around the you know, office, let me know. And I'm like, why didn't I come to him and ask him for this opportunity two years ago versus me getting this opportunity presented to me when I'm on my way out the door? The right. world is well, a very different place now and people get it. It's a gig economy and people have yes. passions outside of their jobs. But I I also think, you know, you were at that company for, was it 10 years? Yeah. You were at that company for 10 years. So you had also had 10 years to kind of build up that goodwill, Mm -hmm. you know? So they clearly loved you because that's definitely not something that's always going to be on the table for people. But I agree, 
you know, you should be able or we should kind of be thinking in that mindset, like maybe I can, you know, consult for for my current job or maybe I can take them on as a client and still kind of do the work, not leave them hanging, get a steady, that steady direct deposit. But I'm still, you know, have time to devote to to my brand. So that's interesting. Like, but what informed your decision to stay? Uh, My decision to stay was one I needed to get a handle on my personal finances, meaning okay. like I had a good job and I never really lived above my means, but I mm. never li- really had a budget either. Um, right. So I needed to know, well, what, is, what do I spend a month? What is my, my, you know, I have a rough idea of what things are. So I had to get a handle on that. There were also things like stock options that I had to wait to vest um, mm-hmm. and have a plan around that. Health insurance in light of my breast cancer situation. You can't just be quitting your job. With your, you know, you your PPO can. with Blue Cross Blue Shield and talking about, I'm about to go sell this shea butter. No, don't work, <laughs> don't work right. like that. So I had a couple of things that I had to put in place. And I wanted to be um, calculated about it. I didn't want it to be an emotional decision. I wanted right. it to be a logical one, kind of like the Aries Aquarius thing. I wanted it to be like, this. I'm quitting my job because I'm at the point where the more the, the the opportunity cost of doing so of not doing so is so great and so right. yeah and what's interesting i think you know we we hear a lot about you know people who have quit a job to start a business or people who have started a business while working i don't think i've ever heard a story quite like yours because you know for 4 years you started in 2013 you're working and your job is not like some little desk job right you're senior corporate counsel for a Fortune 100 company. And then you have a company that you've started that is also not just some little company. <laughs> you know, it's not like a one or two sell a month hobby. Like this is a real deal thriving business and your products are on the shelves at Target, Rite Aid, Walgreens, Sally, Whole Foods. So you have like the ultimate side hustle story. But while you were in both areas, how did you maintain your A-game? while you were at work and while you were working on the business? Well, I had a great team and I love talking about this because I try to tell people sometimes to get your business off the ground, you need your job to take care of you and then let the business take care of your team. And so Mm. what I was able to do was I hired, um, you know, a a good assistant off of this Mm -hmm. website called HireMyMom.com. I'm always plugging them. We have four people on our team, soon to be five from HireMyMom.com who are basically women who want to stay at home and work from home, maybe 10 to 15 hours a week, maybe more um, Mm -hmm. for a reasonable amount. And they have previously had, you know, kind of very, you know, intense positions in the workplace or in corporate America as, you know, in marketing departments or as executive admins or project managers. And they're just like, look, I want to spend time with my family. I want to spend time with my kids, but I still want to do something that's interesting and challenging and having women like that, be part of this tribe has been instrumental in us getting to where we are today. I love that. I just wrote that down because I know a few people who would probably want to join HireMyMom.com so that they can get roles. That is phenomenal. I love that. So, but was there ever a time when you felt like you were neglecting either the job or the business so that the other could thrive? 
of course there were times, you know, Mm -hmm. that's like, like that was inevitable. It was kind of not, that was not the, the, the intent, but sometimes, and that's just with everything in your life. Nothing's perfect. Okay. So nothing. So basically nothing's perfect. And at times one is going to be up, the other's going to be a little down. Um, but there's a, there's a constant conversation happening around, you know, working while starting a business and there's pros and cons to both scenarios but given your unique experience what advice would you give to somebody that's toying with the idea aside from you know exploring going to their company and saying hey hire me as a consultant and you know because I want to do this thing what else should they be thinking about well that they should be thinking the the hire me as a consultant comes when you have customers like when there's actually something there's money coming in the door and there are customers that's not you don't go and say hey hire me as a consultant when I'm trying to get this thing off the ground because the right. thing is in the beginning getting it off the ground is really administrative so people need to kind of you can pursue your passion but like I said find that mom who can help you or that person who can help you or do this on the weekends because the beginning part of getting any company off the ground is largely administrative whether it's right. dealing with setting up your website, writing your bio, filing your incorporation papers, writing your business plan. It's so heavily administrative. Like if you can delegate that or just get that done, you know, while you kind of have that money coming in before customers come in, that's what be, that would be my advice. Right. So another tip that I often hear as it relates to working and, in doing a business on the side is that it's important to maintain this separation of church and state where you're keeping your business activities on the low so that you don't create any unnecessary friction in the office. Um, But with you being the face of TGIN, that had to be difficult because even if you wanted to keep it on the low, you couldn't. So did you share the news with your company right away that this was something that you were doing or did they kind of discover it on their own they discovered it on their own people would come to me and I would just change the subject I was like yeah that's something I do but you know about this contract over here I'm really all over it the limitation of liability like mind your business yeah I'm basically yeah we're gonna need to carve out x y and z from the uh, the limitation of liability so I was always like that anytime Mm. anyone kind of tried to talk about it in the workplace I didn't really entertain it except at the very end when I knew I was leaving Wow. So throughout the whole four years uh, of you from starting the company to leaving, you really kind of just resisted any conversation. Yeah. No, you're oh, yeah, wow. not here for that. I'm here. You I'm here and I'm fully engaged in in this. And world. that's what you wanted them to know. Like, yeah, yeah. this is not, you know, yeah. that's interesting. Did you feel like people were trying to kind of see just how committed you were? Was that like a not you know, they weren't trying to provoke you, but were, were they trying to just see really what was going on? I think people are just nosy. And I think mm-hmm. sometimes people want to do it themselves. Um, mm-hmm. And they're like, how are you doing it? How are you mm-hmm. like able to do this? Because I'm interested in doing this, whether it's for, you know, taking art classes or starting a company or going back to school. People sometimes are like, how are you doing this? Because I need to do this too. Some version right. of it. Oh, okay. So that's what it was. So how were you able to navigate like that balance um, in your relationships in terms of just kind of keeping the business outside of those, those Oracle walls? So essentially it was just kind of, I just stayed focused. And like you said, just kept the separation of church and state always as my philosophy, if you will. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Okay, and why why was now the perfect time for you to leave the company and focus on TGIM full-time? So essentially, it was the kind of thing, the whole breast cancer thing probably yes. pushed me over the edge. So I took uh, like nine months off to kind of focus on that situation. And right before I came back to work, I was headed to Bali, Indonesia, um, mm-hmm. to, for a trip. And right when I was leaving, I received an email from someone basically saying that, two people in our company had died. And one of the people who had died was a woman who had breast cancer. Now, I didn't know her, but I was like, you know what? If the universe was trying to tell me it's time to get up out of here, it is right now. And so I left Mm. and went to Bali. And, you know, Mm. that was on my mind. And I came back and I said, I think the time is up. And I'm going to figure out what I need to do to kind of, you know, get away, get, get, not get away, but like, you know, kind of wind down my time here because I've learned a lot. And that's what I did. But it was ultimately that just feeling like life's too short for me not to be doing what I really should be doing or what I've been called to do. Right. And let's talk about the breast cancer diagnosis and your recovery, because you've been very vocal uh, and transparent about your experience on social media and interviews. And a large part of that is you lost your mom uh, to Hodgkin's lymphoma when she was just 49. But you've stated that you want us to take better care of ourselves. Um, So I want you to kind of walk me through when did you discover that you had breast cancer. When did that happen? So uh, basically, I discovered it. Well, let me take you back to like, probably like the summer of 2015. I found a lump in my chest, but I thought it was hormonal. I thought it was Mm -hmm. just like something hormonal. And it would come and it would go, come and it would go. And I would probably try to convince myself it was going more than it was coming. And by Mm -hmm. the time October had rolled around, I was at a girlfriend's um, birthday party in breast camp, um, Palm Springs. And I felt it and it just felt like really like, like it was getting bigger. And so, mm. um, by that time I was like, uh, I think it's back and it's bigger. And so I was like, yeah, let me see what I can do and go see a doctor. So around November, I get in to see my OBGYN. She feels it. She doesn't think it's any big deal based on the way it feels. And um, my family history of no breast cancer, but she still orders a mammogram to be safe. And then I find out in December when I go for my mammogram that it's that's what it is. So that's how I found out. Wow. And in that moment, you, you just seem so resilient, right? Every I've never read a word from you or have seen you talk about and, and maybe I haven't unseen it yet, but I've just never seen you talk down on yourself or in in those moments. Like most people would shrink or retreat and say, you know what, F this, like, I'm just going to take care of myself and I'm just going to, you know, get this money or I'm just going to go away completely. But you didn't do any of those things. Like you viewed it as this is a test for me. And I'm going to beat it. Like, this is just like any other test I took at Harvard in undergrad or law school, and I'm going to pass, and that's that. Like, was that your approach? Well, it's funny because I do think I have a, I tell people being a CEO probably saved my life in addition to having a tremendous faith in God. But so God, of course, kept me doing all of this. But the CEO was the problem solver in me in terms of, you know, we lose a pallet figure it out. We run out of shampoo and we owe Target 5,000, you know, 
skews figure it out. Like we have a mm-hmm. line review in three days and I'm in Mexico and we just found out about it, figure it out. And so I think the cancer situation was just another kind of figure it out moment for me where it was like, okay, right. I have this situation. How do I not necessarily make this go away, but what do I need to be doing in terms of steps to make this better? And so that was kind of how I approached it. But I do tell people, because one of the things you said was you seem so resilient. And so I'm writing this book and it's mm-hmm. funny because it has been such a process to kind of like write this book and think about my life and cancer and people's perceptions of me. But I say at one point in the book in the very beginning is that a lot of people think I'm strong, but I'm not as strong as people would really think I am because I'm like part of the reason I appear to be strong is that I'm able to work through any challenge. But the ability to work through any challenge comes at the cost of not dealing with my problems. And so it's Mm -hmm. like you can run from your problems, but they're always going to catch you. And so... Yeah, if your version of strong is being able to kind of ignore the fact that your mom has died, you know, ignore the fact that like you've been hurt by love many and many of times before, ignore the fact that you had cancer and you treat it like a bad cold and you just keep it moving. That's not necessarily the definition of strong that we should be holding ourselves up against. And so black women are really good at those things. We're really good at pushing through our pain. Yes, it makes us strong, but it's also sometimes getting in touch with your pain and being like, this is not awesome. And why do I feel the way I do? And it's okay not to be strong. Um, It's also part of being strong. And so I just want people to see that there are many ways to be strong. And sometimes the things that are our greatest strengths are also our greatest weaknesses. I, you're trying to make me levitate in here. (laughs) Like that. in the book so I'm glad you like it because I'm like yeah keep that exactly (laughs) as you said it look take this recording once it's done and just word for word because that (laughs) are you serious I'll I'll take it I'll take it oh my because you just said something that's so important and forgive me for doing that to you what so many people do to me and what so many people do to us right people see me as this strong black woman but when you're referred to as strong, no one considers what you had to endure to be strong, right? To to get to that place of where you're like ironclad and things seem to kind of roll off your shoulder. People just automatically assume you're going to be fine. And 99% of the time, I'm like, I'm not fucking fine. Right. You know? yeah, you work, know? Is, work is your morphine. It's like, okay, yes. I'm numb. Literally, being numb is not the same as being strong. It's not. Yeah, and did you just say, let me just, to clarify, because clearly you're about to start dropping some gems left and right here. Did you just say work is your morphine? Yeah, it's kind of a painkiller, if you will. It's a distraction. That so might be like, a book title also. You, <laughs> just saying. Like, you're like, okay, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to write that down and try to incorporate that in. But it's a way of numbing any yeah. kind of pain. It's just like, okay, I've got to focus on this company. It's Absolutely. like literally keeps me in a, a because, permanent or work, state of numbness. Yeah. Work, work is the one thing in our lives that we can kind of control. Right. And I, I talk about that too, when it comes to love, it's like, why mm-hmm. haven't I invested in love the same way I've invested in work is because work, I can control the outcome in most instances, 95% right. of the time. 
Right. So. And that, that I, I love that. Like, so there's like an emotional eating, but there's also emotional working. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when things in any area of my life, when things don't work out, I'm like, oh, I'm about to go so hard. Right. You know, and, instead of really kind of figuring out how to deal with the thing. Oh, my gosh. OK, because <laughs> because this is this this is exactly the type of conversations people need to hear because we're not dealing with it. So what would you say? we need to be doing in to deal with our pain or to deal with a situation what should we do i think it starts by talking about it and that can be with your friends or a therapist but i tell people a therapist is probably better only because mm-hmm. your friends aren't trained and you know you can't they're just not trained like your girlfriends are the people you have brunch with and you cry over breakups with but they are not the people who are going to be like, this happened to me in my childhood and I got rewarded for being like super accomplished. And that's why I'm obsessed with being successful. Like mm-hmm. the, your girlfriends are not built for that. And so I would say mm-hmm. it starts by maybe talking to a therapist or a counselor or journaling or just building in quiet times for meditation or writing down, hey, just sometimes writing about your life, like writing your story, even if you don't have a book to write It's like, OMG, like writing about, you know, my parents and writing about my family. It's like things come out when you're typing that may not come out when you're talking. Mm, This is true. This is true. So in a sense, it's like journal through it or or type through it. Have a a digital diary. Write your story. Write your story and read it. Right. That that's such that's such good advice. And who knows, you may just have sparked several more books <laughs> from people listening to this. But I wanna I wanna get back to ooh, that was that was a good tangent for me. That that just helped that just soothed my soul a little bit yeah, because it's like we're not and this is what you discovered back in two thousand and three when you started um you know after that, when you started uh, writing the book, is that we're not alone, right? And I think that's a common thread. Like, we think we're going through stuff, but there's other people who are going through it too. And if we would just kind of open our mouths and say, hey, girl, <laughs> you, right? you, know, you know, like we could find our community uh, in our support systems that we kind of sometimes believe don't exist. So thank you for, for saying that. So going back to you working through this pain and, and kind of being strong, I'm doing air quotes, in the face of this diagnosis, how did you inform your team and your colleagues that you had been diagnosed with breast cancer? Like, did you in, you know, in the nine months that you took off, what, like, did you have any doubt that things were going to work out? Like, what was that period like in your life? I got to, I got to, I got to start writing so I can really remember. But in terms of informing people... One of the girls who does our social media, uh, she helps me with my page. And she saw that I was liking all of these breast cancer survivor pictures and, mm-hmm. and commenting on people's photos. So she reached out to me and mentioned that her mother was a cancer survivor and that if I needed help with anything to let her know. And then my assistant, she reads my emails. And so I think, you know, there were things coming in through the email from my doctors and recommendations for breast surgeons and things of this mm-hmm. nature. So I think she um, found out that way. And then I think it just kind of, it didn't spread through the organization. I was just like, okay, before I go, I don't know if I told other people after that. I don't know how other people found out, but they knew whatever it is I was dealing with was like, like I was just, what have you, like whatever Mm. it was, we got her, 
we're here. This thing is going to keep going. Whether so you you didn't make a formal announcement at all. People just kind of found out one by one. I think so. Wow. And they may okay. not have known exactly what it was, but it right. was kind of, you know, it was on a need to know basis, if you will. That is really interesting because as I'm thinking about some of your Instagram posts over the last year, as you've been kind of walking people through just your experience, you mentioned several times how your team is the ones that kind of really kind of pushed you to be transparent, really pushed you to share your story because they knew just how much of an impact it could have. So were, are they the reason, like the, were they like the silent support system? Like, you know, whatever you need, we'll, we're here to step in. Like, what was that like? Exactly like you described, just everything just kept running. It was like amazing mm-hmm. because like, it was like, I had prepared this from, for them for this moment, meaning I'm a perfectionist. I'm a consummate process improver. I like for things to always be getting better and just being a hard ass, but like very generous and very kind. Right. All of these years, it was like when I couldn't be here, everyone just could step up to the plate. They're like, I know exactly how this is supposed to be done because we're always at 95%, meaning like we're always at an A minus, but like this is how CT would have had it because she's so right. detailed and she's been very like, this is how I want it all these years. And so it was like second nature. Wow. That's amazing. That's, that's that whole stay ready. So you don't have to get ready thing. I love that. So, and and this is important. So clearly you're kind of powering through this, this time, but when other people are discovering that, okay, something's wrong, something's a little off, something's going on, they may not know how to handle it. They may not know what to say. And a lot of times, like if we lose somebody that that's close to us, people are afraid that they don't want to say the wrong thing. So they say nothing. And that really, you know, that's the time when we need people the most. So what advice would you give to somebody who is witnessing a friend or a colleague go through a tough time? What should we say? I think what you say is I am here for you no matter what, whatever you need, you can call me and keep it. Sometimes less is more. I'm praying for you. Here's a scripture for your day. Less is more. What I don't need to hear is, you know, so-and-so and and they died of cancer or don't send me articles about people who have died of cancer. I don't need that. So, and in terms of other things I don't need, I don't need it to be about you. Meaning like, I don't need you to be like, why aren't you returning my call? Why aren't you getting back to me? Why are you, you know, what can I do? Like just, if just accept what I'm able to give, because at that moment, all I could think about was me and my health and figuring out what I could do to turn this thing around. So it wasn't, it wasn't like, sorry, I can't, you know, people be like, I want to come over. Why won't I want to come? I don't want you to come over. You don't want to say that and hurt your friend's feelings, but it can't be about you. It was like, yeah. They, they have to kind of support the person the way they want to be right. supported, exactly. basically. Okay, that's important. Because um, a lot of people do kind of feel like, well, what did I do wrong? And it's like, girl, I have breast cancer. Right. Like, what, what are you even talking about? You know? Like, right. Oh, man. Okay. So now, you know, how do you prioritize your health and wellness um, and just self-care in general now that you've gone through this experience with breast cancer? 
Well, I'm trying to do better, like I said, um, about basically taking the things and flip-flopping my priorities, if you will. Mm -hmm. Meaning, like, I'm trying to put the personal first and work second, because when you do it that way, whether it's like personal being yoga, church, meditation, calling family and friends, the least important things on your work schedule will fall off because you just won't have time to do them. So I realized think my life was the other way around. I was putting work first and personal second and nothing in my personal life was being accomplished. And so I was like, well, Mm -hmm. why don't I just do it the opposite way? And the non-important work things will will just won't get done. And then I'll know they weren't important to begin with. So yeah, so I'm working on it, but it's a challenge. That's, that's great advice. And I think about that all the time because, you know, going to the doctor and the doctor's like, okay, you know, you're gaining weight or this is happening, you know, those, those kind of warning moments and hearing your story, it just puts everything in perspective and kind of seeing things happen, you know, when we hear other people's story, but it's so hard to flip that switch, right? It's so hard. We've been taught from birth to put everything before ourselves yeah so how do we flip the switch like because we don't want people to feel like we're neglecting you know neglecting them or kind of leaving them behind but how do we just say and you know I've said this to people like look you know my friends kind of get it sometimes now where I'm just not talking and it's not because there's something wrong I just need silence I just need a minute Um, But how do we say to people, like, look, I need this is what I need to do for me right now. And as soon as I get through this, I'm going to be right back. So how would I put it? I get through it by just recognizing and reading kind of books. But the things that have helped me is realizing you have to slow down to speed up. And you're no good to anybody else if you're not good to yourself. So the point is, it's like sometimes we feel like, well, I've got to get this done and I got to get this done and I got to get this done. But after a while, if you don't take care of yourself, like you're just not going to move the needle that much. Like you're going to be exhausted. You're more productive and are able to do more when you're rested, when you sew into yourself. So that's what I kind of advise people. You got to, and the way I go about doing, I try to write down, um, you know, what my goals are and make them specific. So whether it's, you know, going to yoga five times a week or just, you know, waking up and doing my meditations and doing that before the day gets hold of me, um, building in that routine is also very helpful. Okay. That's, that's a great tip. In the beginning of our conversation, we talked about, you know, the, imp- the importance our society places on different beauty standards. Prior to you starting your chemo, you big chops so that you could get used to your new look and hair before you would lose it during treatment. Once that actually happened, you had to come to terms with the fact that here you are running a thriving, growing hair care company and you no longer had any hair. And you meant you alluded to the fact that you're dealing with a similar, you know, that kind of situation now. What what is that? You know, what does that look like for you? So it's, it was not as hard when I was going through breast cancer because I didn't care. I was like, I don't care what people have to say. And the funny thing is the natural community. No one ever came for me like, you know, like, mm-hmm. why do you have, you know, a protective style or why are you with? wearing a wig or why is that a sewing if they thought it was a sewing, whatever it was. The point is no one really came for me during that time, not even knowing what I was going through. And I think it also taught me don't judge other people because you don't know what 
what they're going through as well. Right. Um, it gave me a little sensitivity to that. But now that I'm kind of in remission and my hair is growing, I'm kind of in the same boat, if you will, that I was when I was um, transitioning the first time around, which is I want my hair to be a little longer. It doesn't have to be like down my bra strap length. I want it to be long enough where I have a bang, if you will. Um, and so I'm waiting on that before I come up out of the protective style. But I also don't want to dye my hair. It's like I have a couple of like a lot of grays, if right. you will. And I don't want to put anything on it initially. I'm trying to wait as long as I can before starting that because it came back really nicely, like really full and just super soft. And I don't want to ruin it. So I'm just kind of taking my time and just letting it be, if you will. But it's yeah. it's hard because it's like, you 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 know, you have people come up to you like, I love your products, I love your products. And you're like, okay, you can't even see my hair. Right. So it's like, but, but can I just tell you how beautiful you are though? Thanks. Like at every stage, I mean, the picture you posted when, you know, you were, you had just finished uh, chemo and you, you had no hair bald. I mean, you have like the most perfect shaped head. <laughs> let's, just, let's just talk about that. Uh, everybody can't pull that off, but you definitely pulled it off. I mean, you are beautiful. Thank you so much. I mean, you look amazing. So you kind of won the lottery a little bit. (laughs) Not with, you know, I hate that you had to go through this experience, but you you made it look really good. Okay. (laughs) Thank you. You know, so if there's any doubt in your mind, like I know that there are days when we all kind of look in the mirror and we're like, oh, this is not a good face day. This is not a good hair day. But you look good. I'll take it. I yeah, I, I, I need you. I needed you to know that. Now, I wanted to, before we kind of get out of here, I gotta, there's something that you said that literally kind of took the air <laughs> out of my body because, again, it was like this shared experience. So I'm gonna read it to you. I'm paraphrasing. It okay. was again from your Instagram. So on one of your posts, you said, and it was a lot more, but I, I kind of pulled this piece out. You said, I'm single. I run a company. I am a corporate attorney. I have two Harvard degrees. And sometimes I have to go the extra mile to really highlight my most feminine qualities to make the brothers feel comfortable. When I read that, it was like, <sighs> you know, like this real deep breath because I get it. You know, and I don't I don't have half the stuff you have (laughs) that you mentioned in terms of like your accomplishments. But when dating and as somebody, you know, I've owned my PR firm now for six years when I've done an experiment where I will tell a guy I'm a publicist. And then I'll tell, you know, someone else that I run a PR firm. The reaction is like night and day, night and day. And it's so crazy to me that they don't need, they don't even have to know anything about the business. They don't you don't even know if it's failing. Is it is it going yeah, well? Exactly. <laughs> and they will they will put you on this pedestal and immediately think that they don't measure up. Is yeah. that your experience? No, that's my experience. And so yeah, that's kind of what I've had to struggle with. And it's not to say that I used to apologize for it, but I mm-hmm. used to do a lot more of the I work at a hair care company that Mm -hmm. type of thing. And now I do the, I I think after the cancer, I kind of like stop apologizing for what I have managed. It's not like I have to stop you wrong, but it's like, (laughs) it's not like I'm like, Oh my God, I'm a C. I'm not like that. But I'm also like, Mm -hmm. I have to let you know that this is my life. 
because there's no point in me pretending that like this company doesn't exist. And then we get right. serious and you're like, you run a company, you're in charge, you, you're a boss. Right. I'm, so I'm just like to avoid <laughs> all of that. I rather just on the, 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 on the front end, right. Let you know. But like I said, I try to, that's why my image and my look and how I dress and how I talk and how I wear my hair becomes important because I have to balance out the fact that, okay, I'm a boss and we're in all these stores and the company is growing and it's what have you and, and be able to be like, but let, I can make you feel like a man and I still have to stroke your ego and you're still amazing. And, all of that and on top of it look good doing it so it's like oh my god it's a lot I was just gonna say it's a lot and you mentioned the the whole displaying or projecting your feminine qualities and I've had this conversation with girlfriends I've had this conversation with guy friends and it's like what exactly do y'all want to see you know Mm -hmm. am I supposed to be out here looking like a damsel in distress like what 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 am I supposed to do? Like, should I just drop something so that you can pick it up? I don't know what to do. So what what do you define as kind of like feminine qualities that you can kind of display? You, you already talked about, obviously, your appearance and, you know, but when you look in the mirror and when I look in the mirror, it's like, we look like women. Right. What else do you need? But the point is, someone told me, it's just like being their cheerleader, investing mm-hmm. in them, sewing into them. Men are very fragile. Someone gave me the best story because I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much work. I asked one of my married girlfriends, I was like, do you have to do this for your husband? Like have to tell him he's amazing all the time. And she was like, yes. I was like, but who sews into you? She's like my masseuse and my chiropractor. I was like, are you serious? But then one other story that was really funny is that one of my girlfriends was telling me that there was a a black man who's arguably one of the most successful black men in America, like Mm -hmm. really, really high up. And his wife is like, I still have to do that same baby. You got it. You can do it. Oh my gosh, you're amazing. And she's like, my husband is arguably like one of the 50th, you know, most successful black men in America. But she's like, even when he's at home, if he's jumping into the pool, I have to be like, oh my gosh, that was awesome. Like, oh like my God. I'm watching this fall. I can't even focus on the kids because he needs that validation, even though his accomplished accomplishments professionally prove that he is the man but men just need it and I think they look for women to give them that and so yeah but when they see or hear that you own a company I own a company whatever or you know we're trying to build something even if we we work in corporate America and we're super ambitious we're constantly going after that next level I I don't like we can be that like cheerleading and and motivating people. That's not an issue because obviously we want people to kind of join us on this journey. We want people to be successful, but they still, I I don't know. It's just like they, it's still not enough sometimes. And the thing about it is I haven't found that right guy yet. I think I might have, but I don't want to speak too soon, but sometimes, and, and, and sometimes it's like, if it's the right person, it will work out. But, Again, I've had my fair share of, of struggles where I've dealt with people who were professionally accomplished and, well, sorry, professionally trying to get their lives together and this becomes an issue. And then what have you, there's, there are issues that come with that. And then you deal with the people who are professionally accomplished and then there are their own set of unique issues there where it's like, 
I can't figure this out. I'm, yeah. I just can't figure it out. <laughs> hmm. Do you, question, do you feel like the people, the men that you meet that are actually accomplished, that you're, you're looking at them like, this is my ideal mate in terms of a career or industry match? Do you feel like they're as interested or are they also equally like, eh? Well, the issue is, and I mean, I got to talk to my people before I go on record saying this, but sometimes <laughs> the ones that are professionally accomplished, particularly if they're older, their mm-hmm. situation is a lot different. So it's like mm. a lot of times the men who have made it that far, they have, they are in stable situations. So it's maybe the ideal man for you, you know, who's strong and has his stuff together mm-hmm. is like, not necessarily available. And so you you have the guys that are available who are getting their lives together and the guys who would maybe be more successful than you that for whatever reason, they've been dating or taken since they were 25 because they recognized they needed a mate to be successful. So it's weird having your foot in these two worlds. Mm. Okay. Clearly we need to, I'm going to have to have you back. And I do hope that the situation right now, I do hope that that progresses as, as you want it to progress. So I'm going to say a little prayer Thank you. Um, for I'm that pray because, for all of because I, I know all how important. Us. Yes, please. Yes, Jesus. Yeah. Yes. Um, so a couple more questions and, and then we can get out of here. So you've endured, you've overcome so much, you've worked so hard to get to this point. What is it that you want people to really take away from your story and know about the real Christia Donaldson, like not necessarily the CEO or high-powered attorney? What do we need to know about the woman? I think it's that the struggle is real. And like you said, I'm just like you. Because a lot mm-hmm. of people think, oh my gosh, she went to Harvard. Oh my gosh, she runs this company. Oh my gosh, she's in Target. She's getting, she's on Instagram every day getting these awards. But at the end of the day, when you pull back the layers, I have my issues. I have my challenges with my girlfriends. I have challenges with the men I'm dating. I have challenges with my family. It's like, you know what I'm saying? I'm just like a round the way girl from Detroit trying to get this, these coins and help yes. people along the way. But like I was, I went to an event that Melody Hobson, um, I love her. Yeah. She's so amazing. Much. I saw her yesterday and she was like, we have to be conscious about using our success to get the ball further down the court because black girls are counting on us. And so that mm. is kind of this shampoo thing is cool. It's always been cool, but it's, it, it's gotten to the point where it's like, Y'all are counting on me, not just yes. the people my age, but the little girls who want to grow up and be CEOs one day right. to know that this is an opportunity that exists for them. And so I have to do my best to just do as much as I can so that they have someone to grow up and, and look up to and say, wow, I want to be like that when I when I when I grow up. So right. Seeing yeah. you seeing you succeed, seeing you beat the odds, it matters absolutely it, it it matters and I thank you for your again your transparency and sharing your story because I think for a long time like obviously you know your company again we know about it we we've used the products but we didn't know who was behind it so you kind of pulling back the curtain I mean 
I'm just in awe, really. I, I love, 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 love what you're doing. I love your story. And I really just can't see, wait, I can't wait to see like how far you take this thing. So I'm rooting for you. Thank you. Yes. And last question, last question. Now that you have taken the reins of TGIN full time, I know you're about to turn up. <laughs> so <laughs> I know you're about to turn up, but what are your immediate goals and where would you like to see the brand by this time next year? Well, two things. I think our immediate goals are one, build out our marketing department, which is basically like starting a second company because we have to okay. hire, a, we have a great players on this team. We need someone to play conductor. So we're working on that. The okay. second is I really want to finish this book because okay. a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, it goes into it even deeper. And like I said, in my intro chapter, I said, it's really cool because I was like, this book is just as much for you, meaning the reader, as it is for me. And it's right. for women for the reasons that we just described. I want them to see that it's all about overcoming obstacles. And that can be cancer. That can be, you know, a failed relationship. That can be a divorce. That could be a financial setback. But it's also for me personally so that I can be the strong woman that people think I am, meaning I have right. to deal with my issues Um, as it relates to my mom, as it relates to, you know, failed relationships, as it relates to a number of things. So I want to finish that book and really get that out there. And then I want to, we're working on some new products. So those are my three, three things. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, if there are any rock stars in marketing and in operations uh, and things of that nature, listening to this, She's hiring. So please go to the TGIN website and go to their career page and apply um, so that we can help Christia take this company to the next, the next level. level. Yes, yes. Um, so thank you again. I truly, truly enjoyed my conversation. And I'm, again, I'm rooting for you. And Han, I appreciate I'm, I'm here. It. I'm here for you. Like, I, this is amazing. I can't wait to re-listen to this because... You asked some amazing questions, gave some amazing feedback. So thank you so much. Like, you did so much research. I'm, like, blown away. I was like, what? That's so really amazing. Thank you. you. You're out here having a lot of conversations. I need to make sure we're having a fresh conversation. Well, this was fresh. This was was fresh. This was fresh. Awesome. I seriously enjoyed that conversation with Christia. I could have talked to her for another two hours (laughs) and I might just have to have her back. Um, But thank you for listening to another episode of Hashtags and Stilettos. If you're tweeting your thoughts, please use the hashtag hashtags and stilettos so that I can see and respond to all of your comments. And if you're tagging um, Christia or you're dropping all of her gems on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or wherever, tag her at TGINCEO on every platform. And if you're mentioning me, you can tag me at Miss Success. That's M-I-S-S Success. And if you love this episode, comment on SoundCloud if that's where you're listening. And if you're listening in iTunes, take a few minutes to rate and review the show because that is how other people find us. And of course, share this with somebody who will love it. Thank you again. And I can't wait to be back with another new episode.